Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to Taking Back Our Corners, the officially unofficial podcast for We Own This City on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking, uh, we're, we're covering feedback for episode four. Uh, we had a lot of feedback come in and the podcast went a little long, so we decided to break this off into a separate episode uh, so we can give it the attention it deserves. Aaron, how, how, just how much feedback do we have over there? We got a lot, and uh, 50% and rising was a particular point of order that uh, I, I messed up, and and, and I, I didn't want uh, 05 to go out, because we had already pre-recorded that, and I'm like, oh my god. Did you oh miss another Wire alum? Is that what happened I got, here? I missed a Wire alum, <laughs> and I was what made it worse is I was, I was so proud of catching Donut that I missed any of who was a peripheral character of season four, that I missed the, the, the star. Uh, corners at baldmove.com is how you send us feedback for We Own This City. Uh, Christy was the first, but by not 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 the only one to <laughs> tell me that you, she was telling me you did not miss Dookie's beautiful dimples. I just don't believe it. He's the young cop who does his job. She's referring to Jermaine Crawford, who played in season four of The Wire, Duquan, a.k.a. Dookie Queens. Or Weems, rather. Uh, he is the 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 sad kid that uh, was uh, kind of like the, the 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 most wretched of the kids in a situation, borderline homeless, uh, flunks out of or drops out of school, ends up addicted to, to heroin at the end of this, the the series is at the ripe mm. age of fourteen or fifteen. But turns out, got his shit cleaned up, and uh, it's one of the one of the cops doing his job in, in Baltimore. So good for <laughs> yeah. you, Dookie. Uh, she also says, I think what you may have heard in your life is sex is not allowed in the VIP room, which is not the same as there is no sex in the VIP room. True. True. Hmm. Uh, I heard there was no sex in the champagne room. Is that, that's the same champagne. Thing. You can't, I mean, you gotta be a VIP to drink champagne in a strip club, right? Probably You're getting bottle service. Maybe it's the same. I don't know. Like I said, never been in a strip club. Uh, so, yes, I got it. I got it. The, the, the gold made it back to King's Landing. Nacho pulled a glass out of a trash can. And Dookie <laughs> was in season or episode three of this show. Thank you. Thank you. I get it. I think uh, mm-hmm. I feel I feel I feel I feel ashamed. I feel ashamed that I missed oh. it. Um, Lynch Lady Jessica says also in, in missed wire references, the nice older woman who talked to the police uh, played Cedric's wife in the wire. Uh, she left him and ran for city council and I remember her, but I would, yeah, that I, I completely missed that. Um, so thank you for pointing that out. Lynch lady, Jessica, moving on to other business. Sewell says here. I was thinking that Wayne Jenkins was a guy whose nineties movie style bent the law, but didn't break it. Nope. Mm. This motherfucker is Alonzo off of training day. Becoming yeah. clear when Mamadou said the clean white cut white guy was the only one who was clean, he was being serious. Even the sergeant of the fat task force is stealing and not even breaking bread with his boys. Corruption of the corrupted. I wonder how many of those dealers they stole money off of and didn't report it have died in a similar way. I loved episode three. It may be a slow burn, but god damn it, is it good? 
Um, I agree. I, I, I thought that they were going to set up Wayne Jenkins as a tough, gruff, but fourth, fifth, and sixth amendment uh, respecting officer doing the right job, uh, doing, doing things right in opposition of the obviously corrupt and bloody-minded Hersel. But boy, was I wrong. I was completely wrong with way, the the uh, how that all went. Oh, yeah. They're two peas in a pod, man. If anything, her, uh, Jenkins is worse because Hersel's just, you know, a, ah, no, he, he steals shit, too. Yeah. Yeah. They're yeah. all bad. Yeah. I was going to say, once you get to a certain <laughs> level of like, you know, you got a badge on your chest and you're behaving this way, then there's, there's it's, it's just all all in this the lowest circle of hell. Lewis says this show, this show definitely has a wire vibe, but it pisses you off to see these thugs with badges deemed uh, that they're doing good police work. This further shows why the general public distrusts police as a whole. It's probably a broken system that we may never have a fix for. Man, I don't want to believe that. Never. Uh, yeah, because because we need we need police, especially in metro areas where they got 20 million of us living on top of each other. You got to mm-hmm. have some people uh, who you trust with state monopoly of force to come in and uh to 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 to, to you know in, in, enforce the peace keep the law that kind of thing um i think the show's got some ideas on on how we can can make things better i think i've got some ideas um there's gonna be some ideas explored here in an email but i don't i don't think we can give up that's the problem yeah. like what is giving up even looking like just fire the entire police uh, force of baltimore and say good luck I mean, oh, giving up on on law enforcement? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, and the people who say you know defund the police who are chanting that aren't don't actually literally mean get rid of all police. Uh, that that's the difference between like what you think wh- what you think when you hear that slogan and what they actually mean, which is why yeah. it's such a bad fucking slogan. I agree. Um, and, and also to the muddy the waters, there's certainly a, no small amount of anarchists that are changing. That <laughs> sure. Just believe it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. But certainly it's not the majority. And, I, you know, defunding the police just means like, why, why are we giving police tanks? Why are we giving these people the tools to be the thugs that they want to be when, you know, we we could maybe police them a little bit more police the police and also like there are other ways to deal with the issues that we are currently dealing with uh with police officers there's mental health uh issues involved there's uh underpinning education and societal uh pressures that you could put into place on these communities that will help them all rise up uh, a little bit and help their boats float a little higher and maybe there wouldn't be so much crime and we wouldn't need police with tanks. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's countries like the UK, for example, uh, pretty large populous, has heavily urbanized centers, has a pretty good d- degree of uh, racial, ethnic and religious uh um, what do you what do you call that? Uh, diversity. diversity. Mm-hmm. And their patrol officers don't even have guns. Yeah. Um. So like. How do you explain that? You know, why <laughs> why does it seem to be a, a like a uniquely American problem? Why can't why can't we get this uh why can't we get this fixed? Um I think until we start looking at at out of the box solutions um where you know like cuz cuz this isn't this isn't uh, I I don't think it's beyond reform, but it's certainly not mm-hmm. just a few bad apples. It's certainly not just a few screws loose that you can tighten up. There needs to be some some major overhauling. Um Yeah. 
just it's just hard to and especially when so many vested people that are have vested interest in the process are completely uninterested in change and are insulated from the pain of the the present it's it's a, it's a tough situation um dom says greetings jim and aaron i've been a long time listener shout out to 2-bit encryption uh first time writer love to hear it dom i figure what a better time to submit my first feedback than for a show taking place on my home turf as a Maryland lifer, I want to commend the amazing performances by Bernthal and Josh Charles this season. Besides looking the part to a T, <laughs> giant earlobes are a mark of the Baltimorean, <laughs> I tell you. Uh-huh. Uh, besides looking the part to a T, both have absolutely nailed the working class Baltimore dialect, Jenkins in particular. Both feel very natural, unlike Dominic West's McNulty, who let his British slip in sometimes. Um, is he doing a, a vocal performance or is this just... John uh, Bernthal, because I, I don't know that I can tell he's any different from any of his other Dude, roles. What's wild is listening to John Bernthal just talk on an interview because he sounds completely different from. Sh- I mean, it's recognizable John Bernthal, but n- I can mm-hmm. now see that like he was doing uh, a deep fried Southern performance in The Walking Dead. Me ask you something, Rick. And he's doing whatever the fuck that weird Balmer Delco accent that, you know, is getting a lot. Because, yeah. like, I, the first I time I, I do heard hear it, it now. Yeah. The, the first time I heard it was an American Horror Story freak show where Kathy Bates was taking it for a spin. I'm like, what is this mush mouth weirdo? Oh, it's that's like, this is how people in Baltimore talk. And then you heard it like it was it, it broke out last year with um, uh, the uh, uh, mayor of Winningham because uh, hmm. that all took place in, in around this area. They all had the really strong, thick Baltimore accent. So and I guess Bernthal's nailing it. I, I've heard that mentioned by several people that he and, and and he spent, I guess, hours watching body cam footage and listening to testimony from Ber- that to, to, to get uh, uh, Jenkins dot accent and his code switching and. You know, mm-hmm. when he's when he's, you know, talking to putting on uh, African-American vernacular uh, did, did nail that. And I think it, it's paid off because I've heard a lot of praise, a lot of praise for it. Nice. Uh, I can tell that the cast spent a lot of time with Baltimore locals as attention to detail has so far been impeccable. Also wanted to mention that Jenkins forty eight dollar bushel of crabs from the prior episode goes for at least two to three times that these days. Mm-hmm. Keep up the good work and much love from Cloudy, Maryland. Yeah. I don't know why inflation wouldn't hit the crab bucket as mm-hmm. much as it does the pump nowadays. But, uh, yeah, $150 bag, $150 for medium crabs, man. <laughs> What's going on in this country? Next, Nick C. I'm not sure what the show is getting at when the sergeant has shown his theft got the dealer murdered. Because even if they did that stop by the book, which our messed up system allows, that money would still have been taken. And the murder would still have happened. Yes, even in small counties, cops get paid more than most attorneys. Um, I guess that's the thing. You can view this as an indictment of, of civil forfeiture rules, too. Well, but so I want to I think what if I'm if I'm putting my hat, my understanding hat on here, I think what Nick is saying is this was treated as like a booyah moment by mm-hmm. the investigators that like. You know, yeah, I might have taken some money. I might have done this. I might have done that. But I got bad guys off the street and I got drugs off the street and I got guns off the street. Suck my police dick. And then they're like, well, you got a guy killed because his drug. And then it's like everything changed. I wonder if this is like in terms of like what this looks like in a jury. Um, That like even if you get a very Mm. pro law enforcement, like the fact that like 
there was an actual directly attributed to human cost. Um, yeah. And, and the other thing is like, they mentioned it as his supplier, but like, what if he just owed a bookie, you know, like what if he owned Tony, uh, owed Tony Soprano 10 grand because he's trying to cover like, you know, that's also wrong, but you know, uh, and, and, and again, the, the thing that I always go back to all of these things about, like, well, these guys deserve that. There are no angels. That kind of defense is unless the statutory punishment for the crime they're committing is summarial summary execution. Right. No one deserves to die, especially, especially not for for drug infractions. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I just think that's a, a bright, a bright line that. Um, and, and the other thing I think that this show is doing a good job because certainly the police killings of unarmed black men in this country get a lot of the headlines. Mm-hmm. But what this show, that's not the that's not the whole issue. Um, if anything, that's the tip of the iceberg. Right. Because for every black man that gets killed in the back of a police wagon in police custody who gets uh, mur- you know, who gets strangled for selling a loose cigarette. Uh, there are thousands that get jammed up, they get robbed, they get civil forfeiture, to get their cars, they get their cars towed that, you know, for $150 a day that they can never get out of in, that lose their jobs, that get into the system, they get charged with fines, they get, you know, stuff that like, you, just just going down the the street with, uh, you know, uh, uh, a, a joint in your pocket Um is you know if if you're doing nothing else you can get you're on the wrong corner you get jumped out on and suddenly you're in the system and you're getting fucked with and the fact that that fact affects you know black people and other minorities at rates disproportionate to the amount of crime that they commit that's the thing it's it's not just the murders it's not just a freddie grays it's the constant war that these departments are waging on their own citizens even the ones that are you know straight Sure. So, yeah, I, 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 as far as like the why that was played out in a series, it's, it's 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 not entirely clear to me other than you can directly tie a body to a cop. And, you know, that would probably play pretty poorly in a jury. That's the only thing I could think of. Sure. Marcus says, I was just listening to coverage of episode three and Aaron mentioned the usage of body cameras by the police. I'm from Sao Paulo, Brazil, and wanted to share this. He um, shared with me an article um, that's written in Portuguese, but he gives some highlights here. The main point of the article is the government in the state of Sao Paulo has picked up a few battalions of military police to start using body cameras. Uh, he also explains in Brazil, there you have a civil and military police, the civil Ones are the ones that do like the investigative detector detective work and the military police are the ones that essentially answer 911 hmm. and battalions that use the cameras. They registered a decrease of 87 percent in confrontations and 32 percent drop in reports of resisting arrest. Uh, but the cops kept working as flagrant arrests were up 41 percent and gun seizures grew by 12 percent. It's interesting because. This makes a lot of sense when I hear the statistic, like 87% decrease in confrontations. Maybe the officers are cooled down a little bit. 32% mm-hmm. reports of resisting arrest. I've also heard that it, there's a corresponding drop in some of these communities to try it of people who are uh, reporting police malfeasance. Probably because the police are more restrained, but also because the people know that, like, they can't just say the cop did this and cop did that. And it's like it's all all the shit's on camera. Uh, sure. It, ideally protects both sides of the, the thing 
Yeah, you would think so. Um, and it, it, did you say there was also a some kind of uh, mirrored like rise in crime? No, no, I think he's, he's saying that like um, this wasn't like because some people might say, well, there's a decrease in this, but it's is because the cops were not doing their job. But like at the exact same time, all the decreases and the bad things the cops are doing, uh, there was also an increase in arrests. So, oh, OK, gotcha. You know, like crime drops in Baltimore. Is it because crime dropped or is it because the cops are doing a work stoppage, you know, where the, right. the, this? Yeah. So. Uh, Marcus says, but there's an election in October and some candidates want to scrap the program in hopes of getting the police union support. Sure. It's a different country and situation, but it's an interesting thing to compare. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've seen a lot the political games that, that are right. being played, right? The, this right. game of musical chairs. You had a politician in there who, you know, got this thing done and it's working. And the next person in line is eager to say, uh, hey, we'll promise you this if you get behind us. Um, and it can all go downhill fast. I guess I just I just don't understand the opposition to body cams. Um, I can understand like if they were on literally 24-7, like when you're taking a shit, when you're having lunch, when you're clocking out at night. But it's my understanding that there are protocols for turning that on and off and you know, there's also ways to catch like, you know, it's pretty obvious if a cop uh, it's like going up to do a stop and his body cam shuts off for five minutes and then there's a person bleeding in the street and in handcuffs like, you know, um, and there's also going to be technical problems. But it feels like to be just in opposition of wearing a body cam feels like a red fucking flag to me. Oh, yeah. I mean, guys like Wayne Jenkins are in opposition to it uh, who cut off their, yeah. their supply of cash. Uh yeah. And probably get them fired, honestly. Uh, but why are the rank? Why are all the rank and file uh, against it? Is it just but the u- police union like whips them up about it? Because like the other thing is sometimes you get this shit. Like I, I'm a motorcycle rider. I have been since I was 18. I've used to be in different organizations like Abate uh, and the Motorcycle Safety Foundation. And I stopped supporting. I think it was Abate because they were like uh, no helmet absolutionists. Like they're the majority of their fundraising went to like Kentucky's considering passing a helmet law. We need everyone that believes in from like the freedom to get your fucking head removed. Your What the fuck is like? Yeah, I don't understand like rights maximalists like that. Uh, like the, 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 the freedom to be free of food and safety uh, regulations, the freedom to be free of, uh, you know, life saving. Yeah. Like if I, if, I, and, yeah. if I want to gargle it, I should be able to gargle it. God damn. Like, no, no. God damn. Right. Here's what's new and premium content for our club members. No lunch this week, as I'll be traveling on vacation, but get ready for next week when we have the rare, elusive, dare I say, premium lunch with Talitha and Aaron. And while you're waiting for the return of the king, don't forget May is the time to switch your Patreon tiers to make sure you maintain your full benefits by June. Stop by support.ballmove.com to check your Patreon levels to see the new benefits and decide which one is right for you. And finally, tickets are now on sale for Badass Fest 6. Come meet us live and in person, watch a mystery badass film with us, and then hear us record the podcast right there in front of you in a theater packed with Bald Move fans. Get your details and your tickets at baldmove.com slash live. 
If you want more Baldmove in your life, head over to support.baldmove.com right now to find out how you can get tons of bonus audio and video content plus ad-free feeds. Since the dawn of time, we've been putting clothes on our back that identify us with our people, our group, our tribe. And why Bald Move might be one of the smallest, weirdest tribes out there, transcending all concepts of border, class, culture, and creed, we still have respect for the old ways. At support.baldmove.com, you can get t-shirts, hats, mugs, and more. We have something for every one of our podcasts, or just wear the four pips of the Bald Move logo with pride. Bald Move merch beats running around naked, and they make a great gift for the Bald Move fan in your life. Join our tribe! Head over to support.baldmove.com and click on merch to start shopping. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so I don't know. I, I, I can't. I don't understand that mentality. And I never have. Um, Mason, if you could pick, if I can make a quick book recommendation for you, if you're not already familiar, as well as to the listeners, if you deem it appropriate, the new Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander uh, details how the drug wars essentially replaced Jim Crow policies as a means of oppression. I have read this book. Mm-hmm. I read it about three years ago. I share your frustration with the, and it's a fantastic. Um, uh, it's a fantastic look at. Because because that's when when we talk about institutional things like institutional racism, um, a lot of people and I think it's it's instructive to like some of the first police organized police units in this country were revolved around um, enforcing slave laws and capturing escaped slaves. Hmm. And especially when you're talking the South, that's almost like the the extent of the history of the police. Like that's how these things, these these state police, local police were created. And there is a lot of laundry that has been doing to those institutions over the years. But like the one of the things is um, there's this desire to return to a status quo that a certain people are like on top. A certain people are down beneath. And like as you have a civil war that says you can't keep people as slaves then you come up with another system and one of the you know like uh, the, the the 13th amendment that abolishes uh, slavery makes an exception for people who have been duly convicted of uh, felonies so you mm-hmm. can enslave yeah. a person and force them into labor and the 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 context of the new jim crow is like the drug law, the drug war has in, has, has yeah. just a huge explosion. Like you average like something like 400,000 Americans in, in in some sort of penitentiary in 1970. We're up to like 4 million, 4 million American citizens in prison at any one time in this country. Like, and, and they're predominantly black and brown. What does that look like other than an in round around the laws and restrictions we put in place to, to, to make equality? So it's, it's an interesting book um, that has a lot of information to back up that argument. Mason says, I share in your frustration with the criminal justice system. It's beyond infuriating. There's so many fundamental problems with the current system from top to bottom in every facet. It's overwhelming from the ways laws are written and worded to how they're enforced, racial profiling, civil asset forfeiture, coercive interrogations that lead to false confessions cash bail, plea bargain, sentencing disparities. Then once you're in prison, the violence, solitary confinement, lack of medical care, untreated mental health, and phone call scams run by companies like Securus. Are you familiar with this? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I read about these companies. 
Yeah, like uh, everywhere in the whole fucking planet, we figured out a way to make free long distance phone calls, except in prison. It's yeah. 1985 all over again. You get to pay five ninety nine a minute to talk to your loved ones. Yeah, dial one nine hundred prison cell to talk yeah. to, to your friends and family. Call, yeah. The, yeah, so you can t- call dad during fucking Christmas. It's disgusting. Mm-hmm. When you're finally out of prison, you then got problems with parole and probation system that set up for former inmates to fail and be returned to prison. Background checks that keep 40-year-olds from getting a job because something they did when they're 20. And that's not even an exhaustive list. Every aspect of the criminal justice system seems broken. How do you fix so many problems? There's so myriad, the status quo so entrenched. There are so many people who profit and benefit from the current system. So little political will to implement the needed wholesale reform. There's just no easy solution. Sadly, it's going to take a lot of incremental changes over many years, likely decades. Meanwhile, millions will continue to suffer. One solution that's most plausible and would have the biggest impact would be the decriminalization or even better legalization of all drugs. The drug war is far from the sole problem that ails the system, but it is the biggest. Of course, there's no political will to decriminalize all drugs right now. We can't even get cannabis decriminalized at the federal level. Forget about meth and coke and heroin. Still, this drug war fever will break. It has to. The drug war is a joke and everyone knows it's a failure. We've got 50 years of evidence proving as much. 60 years if you count prohibition. With overdose deaths now exceeding 100,000 a year thanks to fentanyl and the drug warrior generation aging and being replaced in positions of power by younger, more enlightened generations, the status quo isn't sustainable, not forever. Um, I want to pause there. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that, Jim? I was recently sitting and thinking about the current state of, of our political systems and how we are we are so divided as a country um and i was trying to think of an an issue that everyone could potentially agree on this something that could happen that was so beyond the pale that was so heinous that everyone could point to that thing and say this is awful it needs to change now and i thought in in my heart of hearts that it would have been a global pandemic that had the potential to kill millions of our fellow countrymen. And then I realized, oh, that happened. And nobody came together. Actually, it drove us farther apart. And that's the scary thing to me, the the way like that I look at this and start to lose hope that it could actually change and that any will uh, of the people and that there is will of the people at this point because the people are are so opposed to each other. Um, I just don't know how you get change when everybody is pushing two halves are pushing in opposite directions against each other uh it doesn't seem like it's possible and the people at the top who are benefiting off these systems uh like the status quo and have an incentive to keep it that way they they can continue to do the thing they've been doing which is divide us all and let us fight over scraps while they take the cream off the top i don't know how you change that yeah, and especially this 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 hope where the the drug warrior generation aging and being replaced by positions of of power by younger, more enlightened generations. I'm 45. I want to caution you, Mason. I don't know how old you are against relying right. on that because I the drug warrior generation, the boomers, are the ones who protested the Vietnam War, that marched for civil rights, that smoked more dope and did more acid than any other generation before them. 
But what happens is they get houses. They're concerned with their property values. They have children. And my God, did you have you heard the, how much stronger the marijuana is nowadays and the, the marijuana that we smoked? And, you know, like the, 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 the you know, this, this ecstasy is way worse than the acid we used to take. And you forget what it's like to be a kid. You forget what it's like to be young. And you fear that your kids are going to turn out to be just like you. And you try to keep that from happening. I don't think there's like and, and I look at my generation, Generation X. Uh, the, 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 uh, the, you look at polling and like, we're starting to pull a lot like the baby boomers, maybe with exceptions with like gay rights, but certainly in other things in terms of like law enforcement, uh, trans rights, uh, racial justice, it's hard to tell a difference between the, the, the Gen X and the, the boomers before them. So like, ah, I'm not sure. Just like you take a, a, a cop right out of the academy who's been taught by a, a, a cop to respect uh, all the right, you know, they're, they're, they're caught correctly and you put them in a patrol car with a person. And it's like, you know what? Fuck all that bullshit. This is how it really is. You take a person who's raised, uh, you know, or, or has generally agreeable beliefs and you sit them in front of Fox News and OAN and Newsmax and their politics will drift in a way that you don't want it to. And I, I don't like you know, that's that's a problem with systemic things is it's a factory that churns out people that do a particular thing. And it's the thing that they've always done. Right. And it it works in our schools. It works in our places of employment. Um, Yeah, it's 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 bad i i again i i i agree that like um eventually this fever will break but i don't know what it's going to take to break it you know like it might take us really going through a lot of societal pain and losing a lot of money and losing a lot more of our rights before we we wake up to it because like yeah look at prohibition 10 years of that shit and we're like fuck this we're going on 40 50 of the drug war what the hell yeah um Mason continues with conservative states re-embracing the laboratories of democracy theory to implement all kinds of authoritarian measures. It will be up to liberal states to show the country that decriminalization decriminalization works. Oregon is leading the way on this. Again, it's not an easy overnight solution. It will be a long, arduous process, but it's our best hope as I see it. And I I mean, do they care that it works, though? I I don't think the people who need to change these things care that something works. It has to work for them is the thing. Um, that, 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 it that's, makes a lot that's of money. I see. It's like, it, sure, sure. That 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 could be the one saving grace here, right? That yeah. like, taxation on drugs could make a hell of a lot of money for people who are in positions of power to make these changes. Uh, finally, says one other solution I've heard from David Simon himself years ago is jury nullification. If you're ever on a jury during a drug crime trial, you can vote not guilty no matter what. You're completely within your rights to do so. It doesn't matter if the person is on 4K video making the transaction while holding his driver's license for the camera to zoom in on and immediately confesses. You can vote not guilty and no one can do a thing about it. All it takes is one person. It's a great idea in theory and in reality. If enough people committed to the idea, it could make a dent in the drug war. Um, Unfortunately, it can't make a significant impact because of the problem listed above. Plea bargains. Varying amongst jurisdictions, but generally 90 to 95 percent of all cases charged in in a plea bargain. Prosecutors overcharge defendants knowing they could never get a conviction on all the charges, but do it anyway so they can go to the defendant and say, hey, you go to trial. You'll face 20 years in prison or you can plead guilty and you'll only get five and be out in three. Or if you're in a, you got a misdemeanor charge, they'll come at you with you can plead guilty today and go home today with time served or you can sit in jail another six months or a year awaiting your trial. 
It's devious and cruel, and it happens to numerous people in every state all day, every day. Um, so, anyway, what do you think about this jury nullification business? I mean, <laughs> they have systems to weed these people out. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. Everybody could just get up there and say, uh, yeah, no, I, I support law enforcement, whatever. And then, you know, just lie through their teeth to get on a jury to, to maybe have the opportunity to say, no, I won't convict a drug user or whatever. But I, I don't know. It doesn't seem like a, a reasonable solution. Yeah, I've never actually been called to serve on a jury. It's something that I'm super frustrated with because I would love to. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like if I answer truthfully to most of the questions they put before right. in a panel jury jurist, I would be dismissed. And I think if, if ever we really started using jury nullification in a serious way in this country, the system would find ways to punish those people to the extent that like, yeah, they're going to start holding you for perjury if you yeah. say that you yeah. would do this and then you don't in the jury. Like I because they can. Right. You're making mm-hmm. sworn statements about your beliefs. Yeah. So I don't know. I feel like uh, something a phrase that I've. I think is extremely wise is there are no individual solutions to systemic problems and jury nullification is the ultimate in individual solutions. And it Mm -hmm. might be able to dispense justice here and there, but it's, it's probably not going to get us where we need to go. Uh, That's going to be consistent showing up at the ballot box and, 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 you know, doing all the other shit we're supposed to do in a healthy democracy to make the system work. Uh, T says, Hey, I'm really enjoying your takes on we own this city. Uh, I really appreciate that you took time to familiarize yourself with the facts of the Freddie Gray case as people who don't necessarily have to. As a black woman, I have my own thoughts and feelings about police officers, and for the most part, they are not favorable, though I can recognize not all police are bad. What I'm most happy about is people finally getting to see that a lot of the time black and brown people are not exaggerating. I feel one of the things this show is accurately portraying is the nature of policing in America. To these people, the nature of policing is to wield and exert large amounts of power over marginalized groups with no real oversight. Every complaint by the community is seen as a sign that they are doing good work. The black and brown communities serve as prey for rogue police departments, a lot of time worse than the criminals they're actually taking off the streets. The people who are cops appear to be dropouts, jocks, and otherwise men and women with easily bruised and dented egos or fourth generation. I don't have to work hard to get my job because granddaddy McDougal... And my dad, Sean McDougal, will make sure that even if I do suck at the testing and stuff, legacy will get me on the force. One tactic cops do is to quickly pull up on a corner where people are sitting and standing as if to hit them. And then when people naturally scatter because they thought they're going to get hit by a car or what have you, the cops jump out and chase them and call it evading a police officer. When the person says, what was I doing but standing there? The cop says, well, if you weren't guilty of something, you wouldn't have ran. Anyway, I mean, that's the thing. Like, if an unmarked police car pulled up on me and four dudes jumped out and started running towards me, I would fucking run mm-hmm. in my own goddamn neighborhood. Uh, yeah, this is. Yeah, it's I don't know. It's it's this is this is just a systematic equivalent of Herschel body checking somebody and saying, oh, he yeah. assaulted me. Right. Yeah. Anyways, the question residents of New Orleans, Seattle, Portland, Detroit, Virgin Islands, East Haven, Connecticut, Cleveland, Meridian and Missouri, Maricopa County, Arizona and Roxbury, Massachusetts, uh, which are amongst the communities currently serving uh, police duties under some sort of consent decree. uh, They want to ask is who actually polices the police? Um, I I feel like 
maybe that's another solution as a truly independent internal affairs department that is not <laughs> part of the police structure at all that, mm-hmm. you know, but, but that, so, so the other, the other issue that this show hasn't gone into that here is a big problem is, you know, the whole show, whole show law and order, you know, the police investigate crimes, find evidence and the prosecutor persecute prosecutes them in, in court. Right. Yeah. If the prosecutors get the police all pissed off at them, they can't do their jobs. So there's this like left hand shaking the other. It's like, well, we're going to look the other. It, it's not just the internal cops. It's just the prosecutors are holding them responsibility. We're supposed to be holding responsible, have an vested interest to kind of go easy and look the other way, too. Um, yeah. And then you think, OK, well, the FBI is kind of the third party here, right? The the federal level stuff. Right. Um, they can come in and dispassionately and and uh you know judge these things but i don't know it takes a lot to get there a to where you have a federal federal investigation stuff's probably pretty bad already um and then yeah we we see these people being promoted into federal positions all the time uh you know you talked about uh what's his name is it allers went to the doj um, or the the DEA, yeah, DEA, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's hard to say. You know, if they're pulling from the local pools of law enforcement that are corrupt and bad into the federal positions, at some point the federal positions are all chummy with the local guys too. So, right, what do you do? Uh, I, I do think like the one thing you said there um, uh, about. Sort of people waking up to the fact that these are problems within black and brown communities uh, with law enforcement. I, I was definitely someone who was not like didn't think that this stuff didn't happen, but was unconcerned that it, hap- it happened because I didn't think it happened nearly as much. And over the years, things like the TV, TV shows like The Wire and TV shows like uh, We Own This City and real life uh, cell phone footage and just all, all the things that you see on the news all the time. Eventually that adds up to, Oh, actually my opinion on, Hey, this can't be a super widespread problem changes to the point where I understand now this is just constant. Um, and it's something that needs to be dealt with. Not, not some one-off thing. Uh, I did. I definitely didn't feel that way, you know, 10, 15 years ago when, mm-hmm. when we started this whole thing, I was kind of just like, eh, I don't, I don't see the the big problem here. But man, over these last couple of decades, it's just you get hit with these stories so often and so frequently, it's impossible to ignore. Yeah. And I think it's like, you know, um, it's easy to be in a bubble, but it's also it's easy to, you know, forget uh, that in the 80s and 90s, some of the people championing for increased policing in urban areas were the black communities themselves seeing Hmm you know, crack cocaine and drug use, ripping their communities apart, increasing the violence, asking for someone to do something. So you, fl- you flood the place with police, which you find more crime. And that, you know, like it's, it's, it, it's, uh, it's something that uh, we've all as a citizens had a hand um, in creating. And some of a citizenry who are more directly affected by it are, you know, I've been saying this for, for over for two decades now. And some of us are slow to, uh, to see it, but like you know, it's it's hard to find a community that hasn't been affected by drug trafficking at this point and hasn't felt the boot, the jack boot of the state on their neck. Like mm-hmm. I said, like with the meth, that's like when you know poor white people started getting caught up and like what the fuck, you know. Um, 
But I, yeah, the other thing is what she's a tease mentioned about the attitude of the cops. I think that's interesting because we talked about uh, over there in, in Britland how the the vast majority of their plane their their cops don't have guns, and it's interesting because they're trained to tr- to deal with armed threats, people with knives and, and unlicensed guns, with two concepts: de escalation and time distance cover. Instead of running in there with three squad cars and getting, you know, 20 feet away and having 16 people scream various variations of drop your gun, get on the ground, lace your fingers, blah. They actually get their cars like with with maintain visual contact, but they stay behind their cars and cover and they radio uh, in and cooperate. And they 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 try to give the, the they don't they don't escalate the situation. You know, mm-hmm. the person with the knife, it's like, you know, maybe they have a hostage. Maybe they don't. They try to evacuate the area, give them time to cool things off, give distance so that they don't feel as much in threat and get behind cover so they feel safe. Everything that our officers don't do. Our officers jump out of their car with a yeah. bunch of them, guns drawn, escalating the situation, getting closer uh, to the harm, not taking any cover. Like, you know, we saw like a year or two ago where that UPS truck uh, with the, 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 the jewelry bandits, you know, cops came at those guys from 180 degrees, like firing bullets in every direction. It's it's hmm. insane how how we do it. And I think that um, this 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 insistence on compliance with every order. And if a person gives you any like, why would a cop give a shit about some guy jawing at him when they put bracelets on him and throw him in the back of the car? And I understand how it's I understand how it's irritating Mm -hmm. because I've worked retail. But like, I think it's weird that your average Walmart greeter and burger flipper at McDonald's has better de-escalation skills than a person who carries a fucking gun has yeah. a level three bulletproof vest and a radio that can cut that can call 30 more just like them. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I, I like that. This is the warrior cop mentality. You know, the idea that like you're at yeah. war, every stop could be your last. You can, you're not going to go home to your family tonight. If you fuck up like that needs to stop. Cause it's not even that true. Mm-hmm. All right. Final email. Peter S. I was born and raised in Baltimore and I live still live nearby. So I figured I'd offer some additional context of how fucked the situation in Baltimore is. One, we are on our third police commissioner since Kevin Davis. That's the guy who is in the (laughs) series from five years ago, who is the one depicted in the show. Davis immediate Mm -hmm. successor had to resign in disgrace after six months due to be indicted on federal tax fraud charges. Great. To the incoming mayor referenced in the show, Catherine Pugh was just released from federal prison for fraud after selling non-existing kids books to major medical and educational institutions in Maryland. Oh, boy. I can't wait for you guys to see the next episode. Uh, Marilyn Mosby, our DA, is married to Nick Mosby, the current president of the Baltimore City Council. He was just written up by the City Ethics Board for campaign finance violations stemming from funneling money from a GoFundMe for Marilyn Mosby's upcoming court trial to his own campaign. Side note here, Jim wondered if the charges against Mosby could be payback for charging the six officers in a Freddie Gray case. That's unlikely as the charges are all federal, not local, and the prosecutor that brought them is a Biden admin Mm. appointee. The show lists the city population as 620,000 in 2015. It's now at about 590,000, about a 5% Mm. population lost, and rates of every violent crime have skyrocketed. On a per capita basis, more people are victims of gun violence in Baltimore than nearly anywhere else in the world. To sum up, a culture of graft, corruption, and exploitation extends far beyond the police department in the city. 
It's hard to see any serious improvement with that being possible unless the city is put into receivership like Detroit was. Yeah. There's this word that John did first. Hmm? There's this word that John Goodman uses in referring to the city of New Orleans in uh, season one of Treme. He said it's misrule. The hmm. generations of misrule that like the politics, you, you, you have a citizenry that's that's cynical and skeptical that elect uh, a, a, poli- a, a, a polity that doesn't take their job seriously and are co-opted and corrupted. And the ones that are actually trying to make a change are ostracized and taken down and marginalized. You, you get to a level of dysfunction and corruption to where there is no way to kind of like within the system to enact change. And like I said, I I don't know whether that looks like receivership, a consent decree, a federal retake, you know, like do do you just fire all the Baltimore police department and then get the Maryland national guard in there to like enforce basic laws until you can train a whole new crop of uncorrupted. Like I, I I don't, I don't know, but like Jesus, you know, the city, like people are fleeing the city like it's got the plague it seems like it's that's, yeah that's, i mean that's, that's insane I, I don't know i talked about how some of these cops seem like they are opportunists right and then they see this racket they can run uh by you know uh, busting low-level street criminals taking their cash and living high on the hog it seems like that doesn't just stop at law enforcement either the people who can directly get their hands on it it's extends to the top right oh i see a city in crisis i can exploit that to get power to get money to get connections uh and i'm going to come in here and do it because everybody seems to be corrupt top to bottom in that city yeah misrule uh is it kind of saying it seems like it's the 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 lay of the land because you know you know we talk about the uh the decriminalization of marijuana that's something that pulls at plus 75 percent of right? americans like it's be- it pulls more better for like Democrats than Republicans, but not by much. And it just feels insane that like I was honestly surprised Trump didn't do it. I thought like you know like Trump three months before the election decriminalize or de- yeah federally decriminalizes marijuana part. I he'd, he'd be president today, and so. I don't understand why someone hasn't done. So. It's like what what is the fucking deal, man? Yeah. Like the thirty percent of Americans who are kind of like sort of conflict because only like I mean it's fifteen percent agree that we should keep doing what we're doing. There's like a, a like another fifteen twenty percent that's like unsure. But what were you about to say? Oh, there's a lot of lobbyist money behind it. You think of private prisons; they lobby hard for these laws to stay on the books, uh, for this war on drugs to continue. There, there is a ton of money to be made off the war on drugs. Um, And, you know, you mentioned how there's a lot of money to be made from taxes, too. And I think you have to start seeing, okay, the 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 proof is irrefutable here. Like we as politicians, as as business people will make more money from legalizing it than we will from from essentially uh, letting these private prisons continue to profit that they will dismantle that industry because it is an industry. Right. And they have. They have fucking lobbyists. There are, there are prisons out there who are lobbying the government to get more people into prison. I mean, if that isn't fucked up, I don't know what is. 
Yeah, I've seen like PowerPoints where they're actually being like, if you pass this law and this law, the rates of inmates will go up, which will make a profit and the employment. And yeah, the, yeah it's it's that's uh, disgusting. I, and, and I, mean, I do know that that's, makes me that's, physically that's, sick. That's not the biggest problem because, like, I guess privatized prisons at the federal level, and I because you know I've I've heard people say, but like, even if it's like fifteen percent of the problem, yeah, it combines profit incentive to to imprison human beings is morally reprehensible. We should be Um, doing everything we can not to imprison human beings. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. Not to make money off the ones we imprison. Yeah. Uh, All right. That's all we got for taking back our corners slash we own the city this week. Again, corners at baldmove.com is how you want to get in touch with us. If you got something that you'd like to say, um, we hope you enjoy our conversation of episode five coming out next week. Uh, we've got another opportunity to do feedback during that podcast. And again, we have a overload like we did. We can always bust out a special feedback edition. Thanks everyone for participating. Really appreciate everyone uh, listening. Uh, don't give up. <laughs> we can I, I do think it will it'll be the work of, of decades and a generation but we can make progress on this and I'm I'm curious to see what Simon and Pelicanos uh, what their thesis statement is going to be uh, what their hypothesis is going to be at the end of this uh, we'll see you next week until then I'm Aaron and I'm Jim later <laughs>